Hi, my name's Chris Bell, pastor of Three Circle Church, and I want to welcome all of you from wherever you are right now, maybe on your back porch, in your car, maybe at the beach, I don't know, but I'm really glad you're joining us online here at Three Circle Church. We're beginning a new series today, and I'm really excited about it because we're going to explore the life of one of the most amazing, interesting, some would say even strange characters in the entire Bible. His name is John the Baptist. Now, Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest of all the prophets. Now, think about that statement. And this is coming from Jesus himself, so you know it's true. Uh, He was not using hyperbole here. He was giving us an exact representation of who John the Baptist was, especially in the context of biblical history and biblical importance. Out of all the prophets, Isaiah and Malachi and Jeremiah, out of all the men in the Old Testament, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Jesus says, John the Baptist stands above them all. And yet, oftentimes, we don't know a lot about him. We we tend to give him these little moments and sermons, uh, but we wanted at Three Circle Church to give him the dance floor. We wanted to give him the floor to tell the world his story because the Bible tells us that everything in Scripture is there for a reason. Everything you see in Scripture is there to help us, to grow us, and, and more importantly, even most importantly, Everything in the Bible is there to tell us who God is, to reveal Him to us. That's why it's called the revelation of God, revealing God to us. And that includes the story of John the Baptist. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to explore his life. We're going to go out into the wilderness where he was. We're going to hear his sermons. We're going to see what he was all about. And we are going to learn from him. And in the process of exploring who this great man was, we're going to learn about God. We're going to learn about who he is and how he interacts with us. We're also going to learn about ourselves because what we're going to find in the story of John the Baptist is many of the things that was true for him is also true for us. So join me now as we step into the wilderness surrounding Jerusalem, as we hear a voice like the world had never heard, as we meet a man uh, that the world had never seen. Join me as we explore who and what he was all about, the man, the legend, the prophet, the forerunner to Jesus, John the Baptist. So let's go now to the scriptures and see uh, what the writers of the gospels had to say about John. And we're going to come from several of the different gospels. They all write about John the Baptist. We're going to see just how important he was. If you will go with me to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The Bible says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. So right out of the gate, we get this incredible description of this incredible and unique man. John the Baptist was indeed a unique man. He also had a unique calling. And what we see here is a description of him and his uniqueness, maybe even his strangeness in a way. But we also see here his unique calling, that he had a place in biblical history, that his place was extremely important. Now, I grew up hearing about John the Baptist, and even today as an adult, he really captures my imagination. And when I look at that description of John the Baptist, and I think about what did he look like, I think about a few things. The first thing I think about is this guy, right? Rambo. That reminds me a lot of John the Baptist. Secondly, when I think of John the Baptist, I think about Robin Hood. I really do. He lived out in the wilderness. But now I'm not talking about this Robin Hood. I'm not talking about Kevin Costner Robin Hood. He's way too fancy. No, I'm talking about Russell Crowe Robin Hood because Russell Crowe Robin Hood looks like he just rolled out of the woods, right? But I'm going to tell you the truth. Really, when I think about John the Baptist, I think about this guy. I think about Mel Gibson's William Wallace Braveheart, right? I could just see John the Baptist uh, yelling freedom from the woods. And, and his freedom was not freedom like William Wallace did from English tyranny. Instead, what John the Baptist was screaming at the top of his lungs from the wilderness around Jerusalem was freedom from sin and freedom from the tyranny of Satan and the flesh, uh, tyranny from the fall in the Garden of Eden. Listen, he was talking about freedom in Christ that only Christ can bring. So we get this incredible description. And what you see is that all of the writers of the Gospels give us the similar description of John the Baptist, but they all point to the prophecies of the Old Testament. In particular, they point to this one, Isaiah 43 through 5. It says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So what we see here is that Isaiah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, all those years before, not only prophesied in detail about Jesus and the coming of the Messiah, he also prophesied in detail about the one who would prepare the way for Jesus the Messiah, and that is John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist was a divinely promised messenger, and he was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, as we do this, we begin to see just how important he was. The, the apostles, the disciples, after the resurrection of Jesus and after Jesus went into heaven, and as we'll discover throughout our series on John, John will eventually be executed. So this is after his death. The disciples of Jesus, as they began to preach the gospel in Jerusalem and beyond, always started with John the Baptist. Look at Acts 10, 37 through 38 as an example. It says this, they're preaching. They said, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. So they're telling the story, the gospel. And where do they begin? Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. It's interesting that the apostles started the story of Jesus with John the Baptist. And that's exactly what the Bible said he would do. This is how important he was. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. But notice it begins with John proclaimed. John the Baptist is the most important preacher in history uh, besides Jesus himself. It's incredible what he did. 
So as we look at how important John was in biblical history, the concept of biblical history and the biblical narrative, John was both the culmination of Old Testament prophecy and covenants, and he was the springboard to the ministry of Jesus and the new covenant. In other words, John was like a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament between the office of prophet of the Old Testament and taking us to the new covenant that would be instituted by Jesus. That's how important John the Baptist was. So as we begin to look at his life, now we have a description of him. He's walking out in the, he lives in the wilderness a lot like where we are right now. He wears uh, an outfit that caught people's attention. He was different. He was unique, and he was preaching a message that was very unique and very different. And the reason was not just so that he could make a name for himself. That was the least of his concerns. He wasn't building a platform for himself. No, he was distinct because God had called him to be distinct. He was preaching a unique message because it was the message that God gave him. John had one of the greatest jobs anyone has ever had to prepare the way for Christ, and he did it very, very well. It's impossible to talk about John the Baptist without going to the beginning of his life, without going back to his miraculous birth. John the Baptist came from a preacher's family. His dad was a priest. He was in the priestly line. And John the Baptist was born to elderly parents. It was a miracle that he was born. But one thing as we begin to explore his life, uh, we tend to jump right into his wilderness uh, headquarters. We jump into his preaching, his baptizing, and we're going to get there. We're going to get there in this series. But too often we miss the beginning and what it means. And so today, for the next few moments, we want to look at, at the origins, if you will, of John the Baptist, how he got here in the first place, and what it says to us, what it says to us about our own purpose, about our own calling, and, and maybe most importantly, what John the Baptist, his infancy, his conception, his life, what it means to us when it comes to how we value human life. If you'll go with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. Listen to these words about the birth and, and the conception and, and when we see John the Baptist come on the scene. Luke 1, 11, 17. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, not to John the Baptist. This is appearing to his father, Zechariah. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That's very important. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, right out of the gate, what we see here is that there was a purpose for John's life. There was a purpose for John's life. John was not an accident. God always had a plan for John the Baptist, and he always knew right when John the Baptist would be born. And he even gives details here to his father, Zechariah. He says, look, you guys are going to have a baby. I know you're old, but you're going to have a baby, and it's a miracle. And if you look throughout biblical history, you see that God had a habit of doing these kinds of things, right? So he also tells him, this is what you're going to name him. He names John. He tells him, hey, you're going to name Listen, this is important because normally in that culture, especially a man of the clout and station in life that Zechariah was, you would name his son after him. 
but John was not to be named Zechariah. He was going to be named John. God literally gave him his name. He gives him details about the way he's going to be born. And most theologians believe that John the Baptist was a Nazarite. A Nazarite, if, if you know anything about the Bible, would remind you of Samson in the Old Testament. It's where they wouldn't drink anything. Uh, they would live a very certain way. Probably John didn't cut his hair the way Samson would have, which would have added to his look that he had coming out of the wilderness. These are all details that are found when you look at kind of the origin story of John the Baptist and as we look at his purpose. Now, one thing I want you to see here, and many made this mistake, is they thought that maybe, uh, and it's because they had bad theology, they maybe thought, okay, this is uh, the second coming of Elijah. Now, there's some reasons they thought that about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was constantly compared to the great Old Testament prophet Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament was very similar to John the Baptist. He, he was a fireball of a preacher. He was a powerful communicator. He was courageous. But something else that may be interesting to you, it, it, it looks like John the Baptist didn't just kind of haphazardly come up with his outfit and his look and the way he dressed. No, he was dressing the way one of the most famous Old Testament prophets did. Listen to this description of uh, Elijah, the great Old Testament prophet in the Old Testament. It says, 2 Kings 1 through 8, they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, this must be Elijah the Tishbite. So when you think about Elijah in the Old Testament, he dressed the same way John the Baptist did. So a lot of people thought, wow, maybe John the Baptist is Elijah. And, and it's not that he was Elijah. He was similar to him. He was similar to the Old Testament prophet Elijah. But John had a very distinct purpose that was all on his own. And listen, you need to understand from these scriptures, we're learning this. God always had a purpose for John's life from the very beginning. He always had a purpose for his life. And see, as we look at this, one thing you're gonna see is John the Baptist's story shows us the uniqueness of human life. And I think a lot of us look at John's life and we think, okay, that's his story and that's, that's a very unique thing. But John the Baptist teaches us a lot about ourselves. Now, you and I don't have the exact same calling that he had. He is the one man in history who had the job of preparing the way for Jesus. But let me tell you what is the same. John the Baptist, from the moment of his conception, in his mother's womb, God had his hand on him and had a purpose for him. That is no different from you and I. God gets involved. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that he formed us in our mother's womb, that he formed our intricate and inward parts, and that he got involved, that we are important, that we matter, and that from the moment we are conceived in our mother's womb, God gets involved, that he has his hand on our lives. I don't want you to look at John the Baptist and go, wow, he was special. God had his hand on him in his mother's womb. No, that's true for every single human being. And this has enormous implications for us. When we see that God already had a plan for John, I want you to know that God had a plan for you and for your children and for every human being you come in contact with. John the Baptist's story is a story about human life and why it matters so much. Uh, let me give you a few more examples of just how important human life is and how John the Baptist's life teaches us this. Look at Luke 1, 39 to 41. If you remember the story, Mary, the mother of Jesus, finds out she's going to have a baby and she goes to visit Elizabeth and Zechariah where John the Baptist is being carried in Elizabeth's womb. So now you got two pregnant ladies, one old, one young, and they come together. This means John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. But look at what happens. It says, in those days, Mary arose. She went with haste into the hill country 
to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah. She greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, watch this, the baby, John the Baptist, the little embryo inside of her womb, he leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you, can you just imagine this moment? Can you imagine these two mothers coming together and a baby beginning to leap inside of her? And I know, I know exactly how this is because my wife and I, we've had three babies. And we had our children while we were living in Florida, and we used to sit on the beach, and I used to look at my, at my wife's belly, and I would watch our babies kick inside of her, and I could see their little hands pushing against her, and I could see them when they moved and rolled and kicked, and we were just fascinated by it, and it was so exciting. And I had this unbelievable awareness and those, uh, to me, very sacred moments that God was up to something inside of my wife's womb. And that is true here of Mary and Elizabeth. You see, what we find here is that human life matters. And, and today, as we dive into John the Baptist's life, it's impossible to look at that story about John the Baptist literally leaping inside of that womb, this awareness that God had his hand on his life. It's impossible to look at that and not understand the dignity and the sacredness of human life. So let's, for the next few moments, take a look at how John the Baptist teaches us that human life matters so very much. Human life. Human life has dignity. Human life has intrinsic dignity. And John the Baptist, the, the, the example, the story, the narrative of his life while he was in his mother's womb teaches us so much about the dignity of life. What an amazing, astounding story uh, that there was a plan for his life that literally God is telling Zechariah, here's what you name him. Here's how I want him raised. Here's what I'm, I have for him to do. Before John the Baptist was born, God had plans for him, plans to prepare the way for Jesus. And we look at that and we think that's all about him. But I want you to know today from wherever you are joining us, I want you to know that God has plans for your life as well. And if you happen to be a parent or a grandparent or a guardian, I want you to know that every child's life, uh, from the moment they're conceived, there is an unbelievable plan for them. Life matters. And I want you to see how much it does today. And today, as we take this next few moments, this journey, looking at human life, using John the Baptist as a springboard to look at how God holds the value of human life, I want you to know that you are valuable. I want you to know that whoever you are, no matter what you've done or how much you have failed or blown it in your life, whatever state you are coming to this moment with us right now at Three Circle Church, I want you to know you matter. God created you with a purpose. He created you on purpose. You are not a cosmic accident. You're not just a ball of sails taking up room on this planet, uh, drinking up the oxygen around you. No, no, no. You have a purpose, and I want you to see that today. John the Baptist, there was a purpose for his life, a dignity to his life from the very beginning, and this should not come as a surprise. It is the message of the scriptures from the beginning to the end. Human life is unique and it matters. The, the word we would use at Three Circle, and not just at our church, but in theological circles, would be imago Dei. The word imago Dei means this. It's the image of God in humans. Now, I'm out here in a beautiful place today, 
I love trees. I love the wilderness. And John the Baptist obviously did as well. Jesus too went to places like the place I'm standing in to pray and spend time with God. But let me tell you what, as special as this place is, these beautiful trees around me, these young pine saplings that are growing, every one of them is beautiful and glorifies God here in creation, but not one of them is made and created in the image of God. No, no, that is uniquely for you and I. That is uniquely for humans like us, like John the Baptist. God has implanted in every single human being, every one of them, the ones you agree with and the ones you don't, the ones you're fighting with on Facebook sometimes, the one that you were rude to the other day at the restaurant, the one you married, the one you're raising in your house, every single human being, uh, the person that's a different race than you, the person that sees politics differently than you, the person that's made you angry, or the person you love, every single breathing human being is made in the image of God. And that brings massive implications. John the Baptist points us to this. John the Baptist was not just a ball of cells inside of his mother's womb. No, no. He was a real uh, human being bearing the Mago Dei, the image of God. Now, what image of God means is this. We're not God. Humans are not God, but we are a reflection of him. The Imago Dei means that we reflect something greater We're shadows of who he is. The Bible is clear. His ways are not ours. He's higher than us. No doubt about that, but we are like him. We're created in his image, and we are to glorify him with our lives. What an unbelievable truth and opportunity. So let's talk about the implications of this. First of all, let's talk about now the uniqueness of human life. So let's talk about the uniqueness of human life. First of all, what we see uh, from what we read in the scriptures is this. Humans are the grand finale of creation. Let's look at this verse in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So here we see the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit right there in the beginning. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them, man, men, and women, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Meaning that men and women equally bear the image of God, which is another teaching with incredible implications. This is absolutely beautiful scripture. And the first thing we see from these scriptures is that we are the grand finale of all creation. Secondly, only humans are made in the image of God. We are unique in that. I love trees. I love fish. I love animals. I got a great dog. He's a Boykin Spaniel. His name is Gus. Isn't he beautiful? I mean, just take a look at that dog handsome. He could be on a magazine cover, but let me tell you, as much as me and my whole family, we love Gus, our dog. He is not made in the image of God. He does not have a soul. He glorifies God just by being him and walking around and doing what he does because God made him that way, but he doesn't bear his He doesn't bear his image the way I do or my wife or the way my beautiful daughter or my sons. He doesn't bear the image of God the way you do. No piece of creation bears the image of God except for human beings. Thirdly, we are exclusively given, you can see it in the scripture, dominion over creation. God has said to us, I want you to have dominion. Now, dominion comes with great responsibility, meaning we absolutely are supposed to care for the environment and take care of it. Did you know the Bible actually tells us that cruelty to animals is actually sinful, that you're not to be cruel to animals? Like, we're to enjoy creation. We are to uh, use creation 
for the good of all humans and animals. We're supposed to run this place. God gave us dominion over it, which is why Christianity should never be anti-science. Like this is absolutely uh, congruent with science to say that life begins where we say it begins. I mean, uh, the pictures you see, the ones you're looking at right now of an embryo, uh, the 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 different things that you see developmental that happens in a baby in the mother's womb with hands and hearts and lungs and eyes and movement and feeling. All of these things are happening from the very beginning. Folks, human life is unique, and we are uniquely given dominion over this beautiful creation, which means that God gave us trees to sit under for shade and also build homes and buildings. Uh, It is absolutely appropriate that human beings have learned to use creation in wonderful ways, to use water for hydraulic uh, power, to use steam for engines back in the 1800s and even now, for us to use chemicals to put together to to make medicines and vaccines and to help out uh, people. These are all wonderful things. Science is a gift from God because that's us taking dominion over creation. What a wonderful thing. Fourthly, Humans are exclusively involved uh, with divine counsel when we were created. We're the only ones. God, there wasn't a special meeting when God said, you know what, let's make a pine tree. And pine trees are awesome. They're all around me out here right now. Oak trees, oh man, they may be my favorite, okay? But you don't see God getting together. You're going, no, you know what? We, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, we need a special moment here. But it's like the great triune God of the universe stopped everything for a moment took a breath, had a conversation before they did this thing, before God did this thing, before he made us, before he made humans, there was a divine counsel. And fifthly, you see from the scriptures we just read, humans exclusively are stated as being male and female. It's pointed out there exclusively. It doesn't mean that there's not male and female, by the way, dogs and cats and cows and all that, but there's something unique about the femininity and the masculinity of humans. And this is in the original creative order. God made us this way on purpose and with a purpose. That's why Three Circle Church, like the early church in the New Testament, and like biblically, we hold to a biblical sexual ethic at Three Circle. Not because we want to put anyone down, not because we want to cast anyone out, but because we believe that humans are dignified, that we have a divine dignity that was given to us, and that females have divine female dignity that God created them with, and that males have a divine masculinity that God created them with and that we all are created in the image of our God. You see, humans are unique, uniquely created. And John the Baptist, his life was a huge example of this. Before he ever started preaching, before he ever stepped out of the woods around Jerusalem and began to preach his message, he was showing us even in his infancy, even in his developmental stages, an embryo in his mother's womb, he was showing the world that cre- listen, creation involves humans and humans are uniquely created in the mother's womb with purpose, with dignity, with intrinsic authority over creation, with the image of God. So now let's look at the results of the Imago Day. So the first thing we saw is why it's so important, the uniqueness of humans who bear the uh, Imago Day, and all humans do. But now let's look, what are the results of that? The fact that we're created in the image of God. Well, the first thing we see is that humans have personality that is unique to any other uh, part of creation. We have this thing called personality. It involves reason and dominion. Uh, this is why we can think at a level that no other part of creation can. Now, 
we can say that, you know, a, a dog is smart, or we can say that uh, a dolphin or a monkey or a gorilla or all these animals that have such beautiful traits, certainly. Uh, but God has created humans to be able to think in a way that no other part of creation can. We are unique in that. We can reason and we can also take dominion because of that reason. Because let's be honest, as far as our physical stature, we're, we're way down the list, right? I mean, there's plenty of stuff out there that can take us out. Right here in the woods where I am, uh, there are wild hogs. And I'm hearing more and more that we've got black bears moving into the area where I'm standing here in South Alabama. Uh, certainly a pack of coyotes could give me a really hard time, and there's no way I'm going to lock horns with a white-tailed buck out here. He's going to win the battle every time. So my dominion over creation is not because of my physical ability nor yours. Our dominion over creation is our unique ability to think and plan and create and build and reason. That's where that dominion finds its purpose. And in that way, we are like our God. We are not God. We are not as great as God, but we reflect him in the world by being like him. Secondly, there's a spirituality to those of us, uh, us humans. We bear the Imago Dei and we are spiritual. And it means this, we have the ability to have communion with God. Guess what I've never done? I've never walked out of my back porch to catch my dog having a quiet time, praying. I've never been out in nature and notice before the deer walk into the spot where I'm hunting, I've never noticed them get down on their knees and spend a little time praying. I spent some time out west and I've seen grizzlies in the wild. I've never seen one before it took a bite of the food that it was eating at a riverbank say a blessing over the food, right? Because animals glorify God by simply being what he created them to be, but they do not commune with him. Human beings have that unique ability, listen, and it is mind-blowing, to have a relationship with God, to actually have a relationship with Him. It's awesome to actually say we're friends of God, we serve God, we worship God, we pray to God, we are intimate with God, we know Him. That is unique to the image bearers, the Imago Dei bearers, humans, you and I. And then finally, the results of the Imago Dei means this, we have a moral nature to us. It means we were originally created righteous, and now those of us who trust in Christ are restored to that righteousness. So there's a moral nature inside of us, a conscious, if you will, a heart, a soul. Every one of us, the Bible says, is created with eternity in our hearts, every single human being. It's one of the reasons why whoever I'm talking to right now, you may be an agnostic, you may be an atheist, but here's what I know. The Bible tells me that you were created in the image of God. Even if you have willfully decided to rebel against him and not believe in him, I know that in the deepest part of your heart, when you're all alone and you're not trying to wear the mask and, and fight for your uh, life view and worldview that you've decided upon, when you're all alone in the in the dark corners of your heart, you know there's a God. You know he's there. You know you need him too because you were created with eternity in your heart. You were created in the image of God. And so John the Baptist reminds us of this. Think about it. An embryo, God said, I got a plan for him. I got a name for him. You, I need you to do this right, Zachariah and Elizabeth, because I got a job for him to do. And that was before he ever breathed his first breath of air. It's true for you too. It's true for your kids. It's true for every human being you'll come in contact with today, tomorrow, next week. Human beings are unique in that we were created in the image of God.
So today as we look at the life of John the Baptist, before we get to his preaching and his wild outfits and these powerful moments that we're going to look at in his life from baptizing Jesus to his execution, we went back to the beginning. Because I don't think you can tell the life of John the Baptist without telling one of the most unique stories in the entire Bible. It's one of the only places in Scripture where the Bible points out to us that before a baby is born, a baby has purpose and a baby has dignity and a baby should be protected and that life matters. So what are the consequences of this truth that we've looked at today, that John the Baptist and all of us are created in the image of God and there's this thing called human dignity and that human life matters more than any other on earth? Well, here's some consequences. The first thing is this. All human life is valuable and must be protected and must be valued. All human life. That Listen, we like to say it like this. We like to say from the womb to the tomb at Three Circle Church. This is why we do things like we have the Hope Center that cares for people's medical needs who are underinsured or non-insured. It's why we, we, we support uh, different organizations like Women's Care Medical Center. It's why we are working with adoption agencies and why we have an, a, a really great foster care movement in our church. Here's why. Because not only do we want the unborn protected, and we do, we, we do not believe that abortion is a biblically allowed a thing. We, we do not believe that the taking of an unborn life uh, is something that is okay with God. Uh, in fact, we think that the unborn life matters, and John the Baptist proves that to us. His life does. But it's not just that. We don't want to just stand in picket lines. We don't want to just be the, the people that are against something. We're not, listen, it's not that we're just against a thing called abortion. We are for life. And we are for a baby's life. And it's why we're involved deeply in racial reconciliation. And it's why we care for people when they're hurting. And it's why we're committed to do more and more of that. It's why we're committed to listen to our brothers rather than uh, try to just decide on our own the way a certain group should feel and should be. It's why we don't just move on from things and bury it under the rug. Instead, we're willing to look at the tough things, whether it's racial issues in our country or whether it's poverty issues, whether it's social justice issues. We are willing to look at all those things and to carefully and prayerfully dive into those things. Why? Because human life matters. Human life matters. Human life must be valued. Human life must be protected. It's why we must love people, care for people, treat people correctly. All of these things come from the idea of the Imago Dei. Listen to Genesis 9-6. It's one of the original commands. It says this, Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Here's why humans aren't to be murdered. It's why murder is such a big deal. It's a capital thing. Why? Because human life matters so much. Human life is so very important. And so we want to actively value human life. And John the Baptist is a great springboard to do that. And then finally, the Imago Dei must impact the way we see and treat our fellow humans. And today, as we, as we begin this look at John the Baptist, an amazing life, we have a lot to talk about, but you can't get around the fact that John the Baptist, before, listen, before he ever breathed the breath while he was in his mother's womb, before he ever made a dollar, before he ever had economic impact, before he ever brought good into the world, before he ever had a name for himself, he couldn't even do anything, right? He had clearly a purpose and dignity for his life. That means the elderly person that's in a wheelchair that can't provide for themselves anymore has human dignity and should be cared for and valued and protected. And the baby who hadn't been born yet or the child with special needs or the foster kid who doesn't have a home, 
they have dignity. And people of God, if we're Christians and we believe this stuff, we have to be active about that. That means our black brothers and sisters who are going through uh, extremely tough times and have historically, uh, a white brother and sister should care about that, right? And it's why uh, if, if you're uh, a person who has money, you should care about people that don't. And if you're people who are well, you care about people who are sick. And if you're someone who has opportunities to do good, you do those things for people. Why? Because human life matters. And, and it should be dignified. And we have to be active about it, not just say it, but do something about it. So it's why here at Three Circle we're so committed. We're so committed to not just saying that we're against things, but we're for things. We're for life from the womb to the tomb. And that's costly and it takes a lot of energy, but I can't get around the fact that God had a plan and a name and a purpose for John the Baptist before he ever breathed his first breath. That's true for you and me. It's true for our children. It's true for our communities. It's true for every person we interact with, and that should drive how we live life. It should drive how I treat people today and tomorrow. So let's today, let the first thing John the Baptist's life do to inspire us to love people better, to care for people more, and to see the intrinsic dignity and value of every human life, of all race, all socioeconomic background, all ages, from the womb to the tomb.